Thank you all for joining us for episode two, which is part two of Meet the Hosts, where we are getting to know Melissa and Daryl in order to give you a closer look at the apologists that will be leading the discussions in this podcast. And we're going to pick up the conversation where I ask Daryl and Melissa about how their approach to apologetics has changed over the years. So why don't we, uh, why don't you guys, if you would, talk about kind of how your approach and attitude toward apologetics has changed over the years. I think, I know for a lot of us probably it's, it's very intellectual at first. It's very much, I want to win the argument at first. Mm-hmm. Let me learn as much as I can so I can defeat the unbeliever or the, yeah. <clears throat> or the you know, Jehovah's Witness or whoever that might be at the door. So uh, how, uh, maybe share your, y'all's own apologetics journey and kind of where you started and where you are now. Yeah, so you're very right that when you're getting your feet wet in apologetics, usually it's because there's a pressing need. There's someone in your life that you're having these hard conversations with and you want to be able to do a good job at answering their objections. So you're very debate-minded. That perfectly describes where I was. I had a coworker in my first job um, here in Houston back in 1999 um, who was Hindu. And we started having conversations about the big questions of life. We were the only two employees in the lab at this biotechnology startup company. And very nice, easygoing guy. But he kept making the statement that every religion leads Mm. to God. That this is just one different path up the same mountain, right? So Hinduism, Christianity, uh, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, we're all tending toward the same pinnacle, which is relationship with God. And I had absolutely no response to that. I know I knew it was kind of the Oprah Winfrey theology <laughs> sure. uh, that she you know very popular in the yeah, late 90s tended, very popular yeah attended to plug yeah. on her on her very popular television show back then um, and one day and this was totally a holy spirit thing um, I was on my lunch break and there was a Barnes and Noble across the street from the lab where I worked and I walked into Barnes and Noble and my first stop was always the bargain bookshelves you know where you everything's like $10 and under and drastic markdowns on books And right at eye level for me, and I'm only five feet tall, so right at this eye level shelf, there was this huge, thick, shiny gold book. And in big white letters on the cover, it said, um, the new evidence that demands a verdict. I was wondering if that's what it was when you said gold and shiny. Yes, by Josh McDowell. I had never heard of Josh McDowell, but I'm reading the the subheading, um, and it communicated the idea of making a case for Christianity. At this point, I was 23 years old, having grown up... uh, as a preacher's kid, attended a private Christian university, and at 23 years old, I had still never heard the word apologetics. Hmm. So I encountered this book, and wow. it was marked down to $9.99, and I thought, this is what I need to talk to my Hindu coworker. <laughs> so I bought the book, um, and I was hooked from page one. Hmm. Um, and so I started doing what all um, new budding apologists do. I started provoking arguments <laughs> with my coworker about his religious pluralism. Um, and 
I think I gave him some food for thought, but if I could go back and do it all again, I would have taken a very, very different approach because we tend to turn it into um, situations where we're kind of objectifying the person we're talking to. We're not Mm -hmm. seeing them as a flesh and blood person with feelings and a story and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, someone that's dealing with some of the same difficulties of life that we are. We see them as an opponent. And so that, that's the tone of the conversations that I would instigate with my coworker. Then I went on to work for um, a pharmaceutical research company here in the Woodlands and had more conversations. And I, I'll never forget this one. <coughs> Excuse me. I had a coworker who was a universalist Unitarian. Oh, good times. Universe, a mm. UU guy, sweetest mm. guy, but oh, of course, everyone's going to heaven. Of course, every religious viewpoint is equally valid. Um, and so I'm trying out some of my early apologetics <laughs> methodology on him. And one day I just got so frustrated that I said, you know what your church is? Your church is the Burger King church. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you mean? I said, you know, like the Burger King commercial where they say you can have it your way right away. Yeah. That's what your church is like but i'm concerned oh, about the goodness. truth yeah <laughs> that, i'm sure that just opened him right up yeah, right, right, to the gospel right, he was just like right, right, tell right. me more right yeah. at that point right right yeah. um and so two children and a, a degree in science and religion later um and lots of failed experiments and apologetics conversations Uh, I started realizing that there was something very wrong with my approach Mm -hmm. Um, and that apologetics in the real world, in real evangelistic conversations that glorify the Lord and are productive, are conversations in which you do a whole lot more listening than talking. Absolutely. A whole lot more listening than talking. Find out who people are. Find out where they're coming from. Find out what makes them tick. Mm -hmm. um, Get to know them as people and develop a genuine relationship with them. Don't make them your ministry project. Okay, I'm going to be really nice to them and make them like me, and then I'm going to hit them with some apology. No, Um, love them with a Christ-like love um, and pray for guidance from the Holy Spirit to help you in having the deeper conversations with them as you develop a genuine friendship Mm -hmm. um, with these people and understand their equal value before the Lord, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, Yeah. and and, and even the way that you know, we think a little bit at all about the way we came to faith, you know, typically mm-hmm. wasn't a, like a broadside or a fusillade of, you know, yeah. arguments and evidences. The the adage, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's yeah. way overdone, but th- yeah. there is an element of, of truth to right. that, especially when it comes to challenging other people's worldviews and they, they want to be treated as a person, yeah. a, as an individual. So, Daryl, uh, how about how about yourself? Very similar. You know, once I stopped continuously losing debates. <laughs> um, wow, you were that bad. Yeah, huh? I, I just I just got myself in places online and just in hotbeds. You know, where oh, there were six or seven people just attacking. I don't Easy know, to it do. must have been some kind of a martyr. I won't name any of the websites, <laughs> but you know. Anyway, uh, so then I started winning arguments. Then I started, uh, you know. Uh, you know, I guess getting my, my quote unquote game up, 
you know. And so I got focused on, okay, well, I can get them into this logical trap. I could say this, and I can make them, you know, contradict themselves. And I started thinking on those terms. And so uh, the difference between, you know, winning arguments and losing arguments means your focus is on winning or losing arguments. And that was all the focus right. I had. And so, yeah. You know, I was quote successful. Then uh, a lot of times I would I would get into these conversations, and I would quote win the argument. Guy never came to Christ. You know, no, yeah. I, I don't think I ever saw that happen. Where it's like, okay, got him on that one, got him on a contradiction. You know, he he set a claim, and I show that his the science was you know false that he that he and I and I caught him on this, and I'm like, what in the world, you know difference did that make really yeah. yeah and and so and i and, and i kind of kept that attitude and was very aggressive in my first events and we had like a million uh youtube plays on a few of our original events wow. that i have since taken down because i hated myself in them i hated the approach i hated the way i acted it had that that i'm gonna beat you in an argument um kind of uh anger to it and I just, that's not the heart. That's not the heart of Christ. And so, you know, now RDF has grown. And so, you know, we'll have these packed events. And after that, you'll have like, you know, 15, 20 people that in some way want to talk. And a lot of kids and, you know, and, and a lot of them are ang angry teenagers. And they're like, yeah, I want to talk to this guy. I want to, you know, sit him down. And the parents, of course, you know, will, will uh, you know, call up and we'll go sit down. And, and so when I had this change of heart, I started just going and saying, yeah, let's go out. And I would go. And, and the parents would say, okay, yeah, I've got him. He's going to meet you at Starbucks. And when you go sit down and talk, and I'd go, we'd have a conversation, and we'd talk, and I'd ask him about his girlfriend and ask him about how football was. And, like, he's waiting for it. You know, they're waiting for it. Yeah. Those yeah. are the, the meaningful conversations that actually sure. led somewhere. Yeah, eventually it's going to come up. I mean, we're all, who's, who's kidding who? They, he knows what I do. He right. knows what I'm about. Right. And so I started, you know, but taking this approach to where I'm going to just, you know, talk to this kid. And, you know, you go back to the mom and she's like, did, did you talk about his atheism? Yeah. Like, nope. Talked about his girlfriend. It seems like they've been together about two years. And, you know, if he's been playing football. He's pretty good. He's a tight end. That's really cool. She's like, you didn't talk about the atheism? Like, no, no. And like, that will come up. You know, we will yeah. talk about that. But yeah. this is all about, you know, this, this is a human being. He's got needs to be cared for and loved, you know, and, and you know, I'm not going to debate him into a love relationship which is what he's going to, you know, right. have with God. He's going to you know, going to fall in love with God. He's going to, you know, he's going to be the savior of his life and you know, he's going to accept Jesus of who Jesus is. And that's not going to be debated anymore than I debated my wife into marrying me, right? <laughs> and so, right? And so that that Touché. it's going to be Did the that work. Happen? No, yes. I, 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 yeah, I had like a whole clipboard and everything and a, and a flow chart and how this Well, I mean, work. wasn't she, a, mo that not wasn't a, she a model? I mean, you, you probably had yeah, to have some was, persuasion. I, I, I don't know. I actually still don't know how I did that. That was a blessing of God. I mean, seriously, yeah. There's uh, maybe the Holy, we'll just call it the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I got her to even go out with me. So, uh, but, but, you know, in all seriousness, and, and so, and that was the heart that I, I took from that point. It's like, what, what are we, what am I trying to do with this? You know, I'm not trying to win arguments, you know. And so that was, you know, that, that was, that's kind of been now the way I approach all of it the same way. It's, it's, it's a relationship. And at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit doing the work. It's not debates. It's going to be the whole, and I've had plenty of botched Amen. conversations with people to where two weeks later you hear they got saved, and I know it had nothing to do with my flawed arguments, right? It, it this the, they got they encountered God, you know, and um, they accepted Him, and it was no work of my, you know, 
sad version of debating, you know, on those situations right. where I, right. I did. And then I've had things where I think I did a great job. No effect. So, you know, same kind of thing. You know, it reminds me of that scripture. I think it's in John 16 where the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will convict, or you could even say in that the root of that Greek word, convince the world of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. Because, right. I mean, you're right, you can, uh, and apologetics has a place. And you can even see that scripturally where apologetics has a place. Jesus and the apostles used arguments, used reason, mm-hmm. used, yeah. used evidence. Um, but, but ultimately, it is, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that's going to convict of sin, that's going to uh, really open people's eyes so they can really see, you know, uh, and then that scripture, I believe it's in Timothy, where it says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they do not see the, the light of the gospel. And so if, uh, if you kind of take the approach that you guys are talking about, I think it makes the whole enterprise, mm-hmm. for one, a lot more enjoyable and fun. Two, you're... It, the relationships are going to be so much richer between the between you and the person you're uh, wanting to eventually persuade. And then three, they're going to be just that much more. And your open. your focus becomes on the arguments and the logic that they're presenting rather than a person. Yeah, you know, it, your approach to the person should be love across the board, and you have to be able to to make that distinction to where even in the conversation and the tone of the conversation that that what you're you know what you're arguing against is a logic. You know, a flawed logic, not a person that is stupid. Right. You know, and, right. and there's a, and there's a lot of people that that, however they come across, they don't make that distinction, and and the person feels like they're just calling them stupid. You know, and and so and that's something that annoys me generally about you know um, a lot of times with Christian apologetics is there's this condescending tone. Mm. You know, I see it on the internet. I'm like, man, I've done that. That doesn't work. You know, just you know, we're all you're talking about is how idiotic this atheist was that got on there and said this, you know, and, uh, and just, and again, there, it's about the person, you know, right. And, and rather than saying there's a logic in there that we can make a distinction from that the person said, or that believes rather than the person, you know, who's a living soul. And so, right. you know, Amen. That, Amen. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's, it's funny. I think this is probably, if you ask, probably if you did a survey of professional Christian apologists or even layperson apologists, they would probably have, have a very similar story because it's yeah. very easy to get excited about, especially if you didn't realize there was all this evidence for Christianity, and then you find it, and you're, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can win some of these arguments because really, uh, especially atheists present their side as if it is just, it's a closed case. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're uh, sometimes, not not all the time, I'm not going to say all atheists are like this, but uh, sometimes it's like, oh, th- you know, science has shown this, this is obvious, you're stupid if you don't believe this, it's all just superstition, but yeah. as if there's literally nothing there. And then you find something like an evidence that demands a verdict, or you, you know, pick mm-hmm. up Melissa's book, or, mm-hmm. well, and you're just like, oh my gosh, there's a treasure trove of information right. here, let's ingest this, and let's, you know, let's, let's head out to battle. But, you know, it's very interesting, because the scripture also says the weapons of our warfare are not of this world, right, but mm-hmm. mighty through God, you know, for the tearing down of strongholds, or uh, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says mm-hmm. the Lord. And so, but at the same time, his spirit uses this information. Mation, uh, a lot of people have, have come to Christ through apologetics, and that's actually, mm-hmm. I think, would be a good uh, question to maybe follow up with. Uh, what would you guys say are maybe some of the major misconceptions that Christians have about apologetics? Because I, I think 
Sometimes maybe they can think it's a, a bit too just pure intellectualism or, you know, kind of that kind of thing. So yep. how do you, what do you guys think are some of the, or what do, have you guys seen are the major misconceptions uh, Christians can have towards defending the faith? Well, I think we've touched on one of the big ones, and that is this misconception that apologetics is all about uh, winning debates mm-hmm. with nonbelievers. Um, and I really like what we've been saying here about how apologetics is a tool of the Holy Spirit. This is not us equipping ourselves to look smarter or to come out on top in debates and arguments with skeptics or even doubters. Mm -hmm. This is us equipping ourselves with a tool that the Holy Spirit is pleased to use um, in conversations with people like this, because what is he doing? He's meeting their intellectual need so that an obstacle is removed and their mind becomes more open, their heart becomes more open to the drawing of his spirit. Well said, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the main misconceptions that Christians have. Um, another one is that, oh, I'm not smart enough to learn apologetics. Mm-hmm. What I'll do is I'll just buy apologetics books and give them to the skeptics in my life for Christmas. <laughs> I see this a lot, yeah. right? Um, people Maybe say, if they ask for yeah. one. Right, you know? right, right, yeah. right. I can't tell you how many times I've had that question. Oh, I have this atheist mm-hmm. son, daughter, coworker, yeah. boss. Tell me a book to buy them for Christmas. Yeah. Um, so there's this yeah. misconception that you can't do apologetics. It's something that's going to go over your head. You need to leave it to the experts. Um, and one of the goals of this podcast is to dispel that myth. You don't have to be a professional philosopher or a professional scientist, um, someone who's skilled in the art of debate right. to be able to do apologetics well you know in I, a way that glorifies the Lord. Something that to speak to that is, uh, you know, it, people will say that and they say it to me and I'm like, you know, it's interesting because when a child gets a severe illness, you know, it's amazing these people that don't think they can know anything about medical science how much they can learn quickly when sure. it's your child who sure. has this terrible disease. And suddenly these these parents who never considered themselves somebody in the medical industry are no more than a doctor sometimes. And I know, I remember going through that with both my parents. It's like, I knew everything about chemotherapy and, you know, about, you know, all this, the different stuff they were doing, the injections, all the chemicals that they were using. And I was never interested in that. But when somebody's life who you love depends on that knowledge, it's amazing what you can learn. You know, and, and so quickly, when you're talking right? about you know the you know the eternity of your soul of, of the soul of your you know child or someone in your life, you can learn this, and I, that's a, that's exactly so. Go on, but I wanted to. Yeah, you know. yeah, that reminds me of um, C.S. Lewis's statement: "No one has ever met a mere mortal. We've only met souls that have an eternity in front of them." Mm. Wow, yeah. and we wow. need to look at the people who are living without Jesus as in a very precarious situation. You know, um, maybe on a future episode, we'll talk about some of the in-house debates that go on in Christianity that frustrate me deeply. Um, But I said to someone the other day, um, some of our listeners may be aware of the gender roles in the church debate that's really heated up recently. Um, And just to see the internet exploding with these ugly debates. And I said to someone, every single moment of every single day, someone is dying without Jesus. And we're preoccupying ourselves with this kind of garbage. 
you know? So um, just having um, an eternal mindset about what it is we're doing and Mm. about the, as I said, the precarious position that unbelievers are in because nobody's guaranteed another hour of life. Um, And I think that goes a long way in shaping our heart towards this kind of ministry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Daryl, anything to add or do we end off on that beautiful note? I mean, yeah, I I think that that she sums it up great. The only thing I would add is that with apologetics, at least, and I I would say that, uh, I mean, I know you probably agree with this, is that we're not saying we prove God. And, and that's a misconception. And I hear that all the time. I got has guys see me at HEB and say, hey, you're that guy that says science proves God. I'm like, no, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm a lot of guys. I'm not that guy. Uh, and so, you know, but rather that we're rationally justified in our belief based on logic and scientific evidence and reason. And those are, those are two distinctions we need to make. And I think right. the way you put that was so great to, to intellectually satisfy somebody, you know, with, that has an obstacle that is getting in the way of their faith that they think is a, a problem and then be able to give them answers for that to, you know, to bolster and support their faith. That, to me, is, is the primary focus of apologetics. Yeah, and Should I, be. I feel like I had an experience like that uh, a few days ago with somebody, and we just, uh, we just had such a great and open and wonderful conversation, and uh, he, was just, he was thinking about eternal things just more because of the uh, situation he's currently in, and uh, it, it was just so great, uh, the back and forth between the two of us. He was asking great questions, and I was just gently doing my best to answer the questions, and we're going to be continuing the conversation. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was thrilling, and it, and it really just goes to show how if you, uh, it's just unnecessary to really just kind of come at people like a Gatlin gun with arguments and evidences. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not going to it's not going to turn out so well, but you can, I mean, the idea, right? It, it's to get there. It's yeah. to get there eventually. Like you do want to win the argument. You do want to show the, the logical, the rational, mm-hmm. uh, evidential justification for the faith. But that famous verse in first Peter three fifteen, always be ready to make a defense. But then it ends off with, right. Do this with gentleness and respect and respect because yeah. they're human beings. They're made in the image of right. God. And I mean, they need to, they need to be tr- treated as such. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, I'd like to mention one more misconception before we end sure. this little segment here. Another one is that apologetics is designed for equipping us for conversations with just non-believers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting oh, that over the past 10 years of my ministry, the vast majority of the fruit that I've seen through the work of the Holy Spirit, through what I'm doing, is with people who are in seasons of doubt, Um, people who are struggling with having confidence in what it is they believe. One of my favorite stories is an email that I got from a reader of Science in the Mind of the Maker. She said, I wanted to write to you and thank you for your book. Um, I'm about halfway through it. She said, I'm a pastor's wife. I've been a pastor's wife for 15 years. And about a week ago, I had made the decision to try on atheism for size. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She had been, she was a deeply intellectual soul and started encountering objections to Christianity that she had no good answer for. And a lot of them were scientific or um, philosophical and related to uh, scientific evidence. And she said, but by the time I got to chapter three of your book, I was at least back to belief in God, if not all the way to Christianity. 
I at least knew atheism wasn't viable. Wow. And awesome. I thought, this is what <laughs> this is what it's all about. Um, and I love that the vast majority of my ministry work has been to help Christians in mm-hmm. mental spaces like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, Equipping. I, yeah, and I, I mean, I've seen, I remember uh, talking to a, a man once who was a very pro- prolific apologist, and he told me a story where, I mean, he basically said that in his... And his ministry, it's really been to, to Christians. Like, he was trying to apologetics with this one unbeliever, and nothing was working. And he was like, read the Gospel of John, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. let's talk in 30 days. 30 days later, <laughs> he's like, well, what do you think? Do you believe? And he's like, yep, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's really, it's yeah. really, and sometimes apologetics really is more so for the, for the believer that has doubts or that feels like there's holes in the faith. Uh, and sometimes just the word of God needs to be given to them. They read about Jesus. They're like, oh. Yeah, it comes yeah. alive. It comes alive. Um, and I'd also add that there are many, many times in my experience and in my observation that you may feel that an apologetics conversation with someone uh, really didn't get you anywhere, even though you feel like mm-hmm. you honored the Lord in your approach to it. But what I have found yeah. is there are many, many times when that conversation that you had with that person um, wasn't um, what you thought it was. What it turned out to be was something an observer needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And there have been countless times yes. when someone has said, well, I overheard your conversation in the hallway at church with so-and-so, and you just don't know how much I needed to hear the answer you gave them. Yeah. Um, and ma- my answer might not have made one bit of difference to the person I was talking directly to, but someone observed it right. and it right. made a huge difference in that's their right. life that's true absolutely absolutely okay well cool that's i'm i'm glad we talked about that because uh, there are misconceptions out there and uh you know it is it's god that created our minds and he created us with with a craving for truth and a love of truth a love of logic and a love of uh uh, and I, I saw this a lot in your book, actually, you know, the, the book of nature versus the, the, mm-hmm. the book of God, right? The, the God's uh, book of the, of the natural world that he designed us and he gave us the fact natural revelation to study yeah. natural revelation. And so there, 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 is a, there is a strong place for that, and we just need to know how best to, to navigate that and, and use what he's given us in a, in a godly way. So let's discuss what I think is going to be an underlying theme of the show, uh, uh, just kind of give a maybe for this episode since we're kind of wrapping up here, give a kind of kind of broad 360 answer to this question. One of the biggest, I think, misconceptions in our culture, and I think a lot of what of guys like the New Atheists and so forth have really promoted, is that science and faith are mutually exclusive. They they don't go together. Either you have uh, science over here where you follow you know follow the scientific method or whatever way you're doing science and you arrive at truth that way or you have your nice religious beliefs over here that you can have in your church and that's nice and you know you can do that but uh but really you can't bring the two of them together what what uh, what's y'all's kind of main from a like i said like 360 vantage point uh kind of your main overall response to uh, to someone who might bring that up as a as an objection. Anytime I give a talk on science and faith or anytime I'm teaching a class on science and faith, one of the very first things that I tell the audience or the students is that there is no such thing as a scientific argument for God. 
And there's no such thing as a scientific argument for atheism. Mm -hmm. What we have are philosophical arguments that use data from the hard sciences to make their case. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to never use the phrase scientifically prove or the phrase scientifically disprove. We need to understand that the kinds of arguments out there for or against Christianity are deeply philosophical in nature. We're just bringing in evidence from science to support the different premises of the arguments. And that tends to be a light bulb moment for people when they hear me say that, because they're under this impression that somehow raw scientific data uh, is something that can be evidence for or against something that at the end of the mm-hmm. day is not scientific. Yeah. Right. Right. Such right, as right. the existence or the non-existence of God. And that tends being. to um, actually take a lot of fear out of people's hearts when it comes to approaching the question of reconciling um, the claims of science with the claims of the core doctrines of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole concept, science says, you hear that all the time, science says. And I'm like, who's science? You know, Berlinski uh, said that, you know, science answers to no name. Uh, so essentially, there's not a, science isn't some guy, specific, single-minded entity out there that makes decisions or has opinions on anything. Science is not uh, Democrat. Science is not Republican. Science doesn't have a preference on, you know, Fortnite or Minecraft. I mean, <laughs> science isn't this thing that makes decisions. Science is accumulation of data. And, and that's exactly what you were saying. And data is interpreted based on inference to best explanation, you know. And, and uh, so science is this body of data, which is the culmination of people, you know, scientists with all kinds of different backgrounds who interpret that evidence in different ways, the same evidence. You know, Richard Dawkins interprets the same evidence that Werner Heisenberg did and has completely different, you know, a, a completely different conclusion than Werner Heisenberg. But there is this this underlying or I guess kind of overarching theme in our culture that scientific intellectualism belongs to non-theists. You know, it's kind of like if you're smart and if you're intellectual, you're naturally going to be on the atheistic side. You're going to be secular. And it's kind of like, you know, the Christians are this kind of people that kind of have their head in the sand. They're not, it's none of it's based on reason. These aren't, you know, reasonable people. And, and that, 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 and that can even be seen in television shows, you know, where the Christian comes in, the Christian's the, you know, the dingbat, you know, the, the person who, you know, Sheldon Cooper's mom is a good example of yeah. how they personify a Christian woman based on, you know, and different from Sheldon, who's clearly an atheist on that show, and, you know, he's the intellectual, and that, to me, that's always a good example of that, and that theme kind of permeates through our culture, and it, what, what's insane is when you start looking at some of the greatest minds, you know, in history, in science, you know, of the scientific revolution, the greatest minds you know, from from Boyle and, you know, and Newton and Kepler and all Kepler. these guys, these people, and it, science hasn't changed a lot from that time period, the data that we have, and these people, you know, were the rock stars of science, and they had no problem with this, and so th- how can you say that, you know, scientific intellectualism only belongs to non-theists when the the rock stars of science, you know, from the scientific revolution were out of 52 of them, 50 of them theists, believers. And so... Um, well, how, how would you respond? Doesn't... Because the, inex- the objection would inevitably come up. Well, they're just product of their times. They're theists because, you know, they had to be. That was their culture. The and... question is, is why? Because people were endeavoring to understand God through science. You know, that's how the scientific enterprise started. Mm-hmm. They were trying to understand. And it made sense 
sense only from that framework. Um, and so, you know, th that to me, it's kind of like, yeah, you could, you could say it's an argument from authority, you know, because all these guys believe this, but that's why we always right. go back to the evidence. And the evidence itself, how that's interpreted, uh, that's the way, that's what should be presented is the, you know, the raw, you know, unadulterated evidence. And that's what I think you do so good in your book is that that can be, you, you can say whoever you are, look, look at what the evidence says, understand DNA, what DNA is, and understand, you know, what we know about the origin of the universe and, and how the physical laws work and, and what would be what would be capable. And also asking the question, what would we expect to see in the natural world if it were to have been created by a supernatural creator, what would we expect to see, you know, left as evidence? And that's, that's and, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, what we see fits that model perfectly. Yeah, yeah. So if you think about some of the key players of the scientific revolution that we just mentioned, uh, they lived and learned and worked before the advent of Darwinism. That's true. But if you look in their writings, in their own words, in their private correspondence, the reasons that they had based on their science for believing in a rational God behind the cosmos had nothing to do with biological origins. Hmm. So, for example, you look at Galileo and Johannes Kepler, they were stunned, they were astonished, they thought it was remarkable that the universe could be explained mathematically since their time hundreds of years later it would have blown their minds all over mm -hmm. again to see how deeply mathematics yes. penetrates the physical world mm -hmm. so my point being the reasons that they had for being um Con not convinced in their faith. I don't want to say that because these these were men who were deeply devout Christians before the, they did the work that they did. But they saw their work as so strongly supporting their religious beliefs. The reasons that they had are even stronger today than they were then. And that was part of my project and my dissertation on Kepler is I said, okay, let's look at the, the kinds of reasons he had for believing that the universe has a creator in whose image we are made. And let's see how his ideas stand up to contemporary science and philosophy. And it turns out that his arguments are far better today than they even were then. So wow. it's yeah. a big misconception that, oh, those religious scientists of the scientific revolution, they were just products of their time, um, mm -hmm. as, as you mentioned. And if they had lived post-Darwin, mm. they would have known better. There's just zero support for that idea. Well, even post-Darwin, post-Darwin, as you alluded to, they didn't even understand the molecular world at that point. What would Dar I even say post-Darwin, what would Darwin say right. if he knew right. about the structure and, and data in, in DNA? What would he say? We don't even know that. And so, yeah, you, you, you could make that argument that, you know, Kepler and all these guys, you know, they, they were pre-Darwin. You can, you can go along the board because we've learned so much more since even Darwin. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for the, again, the very first edition of Faith, Reason, and Culture. If you want to get in touch with us, please email us, frc at cgmradio.com. Uh, we would love to, in the future have a, a question and answer time so please email in your questions to us and melissa and daryl can answer those for you right here 
Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. The, this is going to be in all of the major podcasting channels. So whether it's iTunes or Google or Spotify, this will be there. So please subscribe to the podcast there. And again, uh, all of the information to follow Melissa and Daryl on social media, uh, websites and all of that to the Rivendell Collective, to the RDOF events, all of that will be in the show notes of this show, as well as at cgmradio.com slash FRC. So thanks again, guys, for joining us, and we look forward to continuing the discussion next time. 